y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to connect you with people and resources to remind you that you're not alone. In this episode, number 224, I get the privilege of chatting with Christian music icon. And now I consider her a friend after reading her book, Sandy Patty. It has been revolutionizing in my heart to truly be able to surrender my kids to God. I mean, I might do the action like I'm surrendering them, but I still have to unroll my hands Hmm. and I still have to let them go. And that is the hardest for me, but I've realized as much as I worry about him, he's worried more. He just is, it's his job. And that has been very peacemaking in my heart. That is just a tiny piece of the goodness in store for you in this episode. Y'all know how I love to talk to wise mentors who give perspective and the fact that our mentor this week is Sandy Patty. Come on. She's going to talk about her blended family and all of that entails. If that's for you or you have a friend leading a blended family, make sure you share this episode with her. Also, we talk about Sandy's family background and an experience with sexual abuse. If that's part of your story, I just always want to highlight that so that you are not triggered by surprise when we get to that conversation. We talk about BSF Bible Study Fellowship and how the role it played in connecting her with God's word and helping heal her trauma. We talk about marriage and when hard things happen to our kids and the guilt we can feel. And we talk about shame. Stick around for the end of the episode because I have more for you on the topic of shame. It's all amazing. Before we get to it, I want to tell you something else amazing. So y'all haven't heard me talk about Prep Dish for the last month, and that's because I took a little hiatus on sponsorships while I got the website and the branding all settled down. Um, But I'm back. And in that month's time, can I just tell you that uh, I got out of the habit of using Prep Dish and... The amount of stress added to meal planning, the amount of times we went out to eat and spent way too much money feeding our family of six, all revealed to me why I love Prep Dish. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, let me describe the amazingness of Prep Dish. It's basically a meal planning subscription service. So every Friday I get a PDF with the grocery list, how to prep all the food in like one afternoon if I want to, and then how to cook all the food. And I choose the paleo option. There's a gluten-free option. So I know my kids are getting great food in addition to the fact that I actually know what's for dinner. Uh, And my kids have tried things that I didn't think they would like. They love it. If you want to check it out, the other amazing thing is that Preptish is going to let you get two weeks for free. You just go to preptish.com forward slash DMA for Don't Mom Alone. And then you use the coupon code, all caps DMA, and you'll get that two week trial. I think you're going to love it. Just give it a shot, especially with the holidays coming up. You don't want to have to mess and have any brain space for what are we going to have for dinner. Go check it out. I know you're going to love it. I am going to get back on the bandwagon this week. All right, let's get to my chat with Sandy. Here we go. Sandy, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. (laughs) I am so happy to be here. We both have voices. We can hear each other. We can, which two seconds ago was not the case, but we fought for each other (laughs) to find our voices. I hit the unmute button, the irony (laughs) of what we're going to talk about. I hit buttons I have never seen before because I'm 62 and we don't do technology. 
You're so great. It's me. It's not you. Okay. So, Sandy, this truly is a joy. I'm from Indiana. So, oh, really? I'm in from Texas where? now, uh, Carmel, Indiana. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. Love Carmel. So, my good friends and I, we belted out your songs like no other. <laughs> I love it. You were everything for us growing up. I was in a very Christian home. And so, I was allowed to listen to like three people, and you were one of them. <laughs> And so thank you for that childhood and helping me Mm. stay focused on truth. But I feel like after reading your book, you move from this being Sandy Patty to a friend. Like you invited me in to places that I could connect with. So thank you for that. Thank you for trusting us with that. That is one of the sweetest things anyone could say to me. Really, thank you. Well, it's truth. I have spent a lot of time with you the last couple of days in your book. <laughs> you just don't know it. I'm sure that's odd when people know you better than you know them. But um, I can tell that this came from a really tender place. And um, I can relate to the shy and the voiceless persona that you're sharing with us. And um, I know there are gals listening that have had that same experience and haven't yet found their voice. So thank you for going first and for guiding the way. And I know your family story is complicated, but I usually have my guests introduce their families. So if you want to do that, yeah. real quick, we'd, we'd love to kind of get Absolutely. to know them. Yeah. So we are a beautifully broken and bruised blended family. Love it. And um, when my husband and I got married 23 years ago, I had four kids. He had three And then we adopted our youngest one. So we have raised eight kids together. (laughs) Makes me tired, Um, Sandy. That makes me tired. You know what I love? I love getting a chance to tell young moms, let me be your happy thought. Yeah. When you're having a crazy day with, you know, three, four kids, just think, oh, my gosh, I could be Sandy. You know, (laughs) let me be your happy thought. (laughs) It could get worse, right? There's always. No, Um, no. Great. Beautiful. Beautiful eight. Okay. And so now we've added five fabulous in-laws and um, three beautiful grandchildren. So uh, we are a pack of 18. Man. And uh, yeah, it's. And we are all in. We are all in for each other. We talk about stuff. We truth speak. We passionately stand with each other. And I just love our family. I really, really do. So with Don's kids, did they age-wise line up with yours or did were there some the same? You know, are a lot yeah. of, there are a lot of moms listening that have blended families. So I know anytime I have a guest that has one, they're listening really closely. Listen, we got it. We mm-hmm. got to talk about it because mm-hmm. there's over 50% of people inside the church yeah. are impacted by a blended family. And so Don and I are really enjoying opportunities to speak about that in two blended families these days. Good. My oldest daughter is 33. Okay. And then I have twins who are 30 and then a daughter who is 28. Don's kids, he is oldest son is 30. Oh, okay. um, and then he has a 29 year old and a 26 year old. Okay. And then uh, our son that we adopted is 23. And was he international or a local adoption? He is multi everything, okay. multiracial, multi talented. <laughs> 
multi-emotional. He was adopted from the United States, but he carries lots and lots of generations of many different ethnicities inside of him. Very cool. So one of the first things that happened was Donnie, who is Don's oldest son, lost his birth order. He was no longer the oldest. Mm -hmm. And it took us a few years to kind of, you know, assess that in blended families, you have two of everything. So you have two oldests, you have two youngests, you have, you know, several middle children. We didn't know that until, you know, later in. And that's a lot of times one thing we say to a lot of blended families, go ahead and have two number ones, go ahead. Because kids will often lose their place in their birth order or they'll lose a bedroom or they'll lose maybe having to change schools. So just acknowledge it and try to make that work. I I will say this because we're talking about blended families. The first thing that we say to blended families is that you have to understand that every blended family is born out of loss. Now, that's not good. It's not bad. It just is. And if you can really understand that, and then the second thing goes pretty hand in hand, is that you're the only two who really chose this. Nobody else did. So um, you've got to make sure that relationship with the adults stays strong because it's going to take some time adjusting and um, just acknowledging that it's born out of loss kind of takes some arguments off the table. Like, you know, you don't have to call me mom. You choose. You choose what you want to call me. My stepkids call me by my first name. That's okay. Because you know what? They have a mom. Mm. And, you know, my kids call Don by his first name because they have a dad. And so that's nothing to be threatened about. I think if we can get that piece of it, it makes a lot of the other stuff a little bit easier. Super helpful. Thank you for encouraging that mom out there because even just that advice could change her day to day. Yeah. And you know what? It's not easy. It is hard and it takes time. Be patient to the process. Allow some space for conversation. And we said in the very beginning, we knew our kids didn't choose this. And so we said to them, you don't have to love each other. You don't have to like each other. You do have to respect each other. But we get that's going to take time. And so many people will say to us now, 23 years later, that they really watch our kids and see the closeness in them. And, you know, we kind of laugh to ourselves and think, well, we could never have predicted that. (laughs) But, you know, when there's conflict, there's also the possibility of good relationship. So we just kind of tried to say, if there's not blood, you guys get in there and figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) That helps me because we're in the adolescent years and it can feel like a lot of conflict is happening and will they ever like each other? And yeah, yeah, I will tell you this and nobody could have told me this at the, the kids who fought the most are the closest now. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Super they helpful. are the closest. So just just hang in there and just kind of say, hey, is there blood? Well, no, there's not blood. All right. Then you guys go figure it out. <laughs> yeah. No, that is encouraging to me <laughs> as I will pick them up in a couple hours and I'm sure we'll have conflict. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, Sandy, you're just 
so much wisdom and confidence is coming out of you, but I know that hasn't always been true in your story. And, you know, for those who are listening that maybe don't know all of your story, they don't know that as a little girl and growing up, it was hard for you to have that voice and that confidence and to speak up for what's true for you. And so tell us a little bit about Sandy as a little girl and what kind of happened to reinforce some Mm -hmm. lies about your voice. I grew up in as the oldest of three kids. And my parents are very, very talented and very musical. And so music was just a language, you know, in our house. We would sing everywhere all the time. And my dad was the music pastor at the church. So church and music really just went hand in hand. I think as I look back on my personality as a kid, I was a pretty compliant kid. I didn't feel the need to push boundaries a lot. I wanted everybody around me to be happy and be okay. And I tried to, you know, follow the rules and do my part. And when I was six years old, I was sexually abused by a female family friend. And, you know, sexual abuse rips the sacred and the innocence out of a child. Mm. And... You also are very quick to learn what you think are true messages. And that is, this is your fault. You caused it. If you tell anyone, they're not going to believe you or you're just going to get in more trouble. So don't speak up. Don't tell anyone. And so it just kind of at six really set the trajectory a bit for my life in believing an upside down reality. And, you know, I never told my parents anything about it until I was 35 years old. Mm. And because I believe the lie that no one's going to believe me, it'll be my fault. So, you know, why bother? And so I walked through life with the lens of everything's kind of my fault or what have I missed and how can I fix it? And it wasn't really until my first marriage came sort of crashing down because broken people create a broken marriage. Mm -hmm. I don't say that flippantly. I say that with tremendous grief. I wish I had known how to step into healing long before I did. But as my first marriage began to really crumble I began attending Bible Study Fellowship, and Bible Study Fellowship is one of, oh, it's just such a great in-depth look at God's Word and application of God's Word. And a funny thing happened to me that as I began to place the truth of God's Word in my heart, all the other stuff had to find a place to go, all the lies. And I think that's when I began to take responsibility for the pain in my life. Not responsibility like it was my fault, but being responsible to it. And that I had to address the pain in my life. And I think having God's word become this mirror of truth really for the first time in my life felt like I could begin to speak the truth of the pain and story in my life. And I don't think 
I, I want to say when we become attentive to the pain in our life, it's never an excuse for our behavior or for sin or for choices, but we have to understand it in order to put the past behind mm -hmm. and look towards what is ahead. If we don't know what that past is, it's very hard to put it behind. And so we have to attend to it for the purpose of healing and for the purpose of never making those choices again. Yeah, that's so helpful. I was talking to a friend about this. You know, I love this line you said about what you're talking about. His word loosens the grip wounds have on us. That's yeah. super powerful. Yeah. And the baggage becomes more obvious and more uncomfortable. Yes. And so even yes. though we don't, you know, you're so good to not blame parents and to recognize it happened, but to not dwell too much there. I think the key in helping people see is if, if they say, oh, I've forgiven that person or I've, I've moved on emotionally, I don't need to go back. It's sometimes recognizing what we need to go back to is allowing God there and allowing God to heal. And it might be through a counselor and it might be through a treatment right. center. But yes. if we just move forward and never take a hot second to consider what's been planted in those times of innocence or in seasons where the enemy's trying to steal and destroy, we are missing out on the goodness of what God promises us, which is to set you free and to heal the brokenness. And so I love that you point to that so well in this book that you don't have to be fearful of counseling and and that it was God's word that started you on this healing journey. Yeah. Some people will comment to me, oh, too much psychology, more Bible. I'm like, it's kind of this mixture, <laughs> this putting together what God's yeah. doing and the gifts he's given us and some beautiful counselors and what we know about the mind and how our emotions work and how it influences our body. Like they're all interwoven and we can't yes. separate them. So. Speak to that woman who's, she knows she needs some help, but she's on the fence right now of moving forward to get help. Yeah. You know, sometimes we don't know what the next right step is. Mm. Um, sometimes just doing the next right thing is all we need to do. And so here are some examples of what might be the next right thing for someone. I'm an introvert. I reboot by being alone. So I, my default mode is not to talk, not to share. And it was hard for me as an introvert to find what is that next right step. And I started to journal because you have to speak out loud your pain somehow. Hmm. And for introverts, that's really hard. Yeah. So I started to journal and I started to journal honestly. It's almost like if we take a look at the Psalms, the Psalms are such a perfect example of what journaling should look like because David is high as a kite one minute. And then in the next breath, he is thinking God has forsaken him. And don't, isn't that just so <laughs> honest? Yeah. And that's, that's where we have to begin is with that truth. I believe that the truth sets us free. I think 90% of that time, it's God's truth in from his word. But I think a whole lot of that truth talking is telling our story and being honest with our pain. And where there's truth, there is God. And where there is God, 
in the midst, there is freedom. So I think we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And sometimes that word of our testimony are not the pretty parts. And as we begin to maybe journal and then maybe reading that out loud and then watching very carefully the people around you and leaning in and really listening to what they're saying about their life. And if they're willing to speak to a little bit of pain in their life, chances are they're going to be a good listener to some of your pain. Mm, That's really good. I'm a huge fan of counseling, huge fan. But I think you also have to do your due diligence and you have to read some reviews and you have to talk to some people and get some opinions because a bad experience will just be trauma all over again. Mm. And so what is the next right step? Start there. So good. And I know you shared, you know, when you were sharing your testimony just a bit ago about the abuse you experienced. And I know that can trigger some people um, either because of their own abuse situation. We know so many women and so many coming forward now um, to face that truth. And then moms who are listening who are fearful of that happening to their child. And I know we can't prevent everything from happening to our kids. But I think the key part of your story is gaining a voice. And you pointed out just because a child is shy doesn't mean she doesn't have something to say. Um, And so often even girls that are abused might share it and we don't want to believe it. So we just cast that aside. Mm -hmm. How do you how do we help foster that safe communication in our own home and let our kids know that their voice matters? That is a fabulous question, Heather. And I will say this. I think your generation of moms, women are doing a much better job than our generation did or my parents' generation. That statement can just speak for itself. (laughs) I really do. And I'm very proud of your generation, you know, because you're my daughters, you know, Mm -hmm. you are. And I, I just see that there isn't this feeling and correct me if I'm wrong, but I watch my daughters and they are willing to maybe discuss things that you don't necessarily have the same opinion. I'm not talking about knockdown, drag out fights, but I'm talking about disagreements with the mom and dad. What you're doing is you're giving a kids a lens that number one, everything isn't always perfect. Do you know, I never saw my parents argue ever. Hmm. Um, I wish I had seen that because what I think you all are doing is you're giving kids tools for conflict resolution. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I think by doing even just that, you are sending messages that every day isn't always going to be perfect. One of the things that Don and I really tried to do when we first got married is establish a space for communication. And so when the kids were little, we did this little thing around the dinner table and we called it high, low. Like what was your high for the day? What did you like about the day? What was your low today? What didn't you like about the day? By creating that space, number one, it gave everyone a voice. Everyone had to listen and everyone, you know, had to talk. So when they were little, 
You know, there was things like, oh, we had peas for lunch. You know, that was, oh. But what happened as they grew up, their high and their lows began to be deeper. So-and-so said something today that hurt my feelings or whatever. And so I think you have to foster an environment of communication, of talking and listening. And you have to establish that the uncomfortable feelings like, you know, being angry or feeling sad or being disappointed or embarrassed, those are okay to talk about too. Did you have siblings that would make fun of each other? Like, I feel like sometimes someone might share and then another sibling is, I mean, I have all boys, so they can be kind of rude. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, sometimes That's it's hard good. to like have these vulnerable moments when I have like all the boys, but right. Uh, did you have like a consequence or a, a way or is it just you and your husband's manner that shaped that? I don't know how to. I, yeah, I think it was more. I think we established some ground rules. OK. And that everybody can say anything they want to say as long as it's not hurtful to, you know, like mm-hmm. intentionally hurtful yeah. to someone else. And everyone who listens is going to listen with that same mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, what we realized later on as parents is that our siblings, the siblings will be the first ones to call their sibling out on something, but they will also be the first one to stand up for their sibling if somebody else calls them out on something. Hmm. I wish I had known that's how it worked back then. I probably would have doled out a few less consequences. Okay. But they're just going to do that as long as there is respect in it. And it's also different personalities. Like some of our kids, they love being teased, like in a fun way, mm-hmm. like not, not in a hurtful attacking way. Yeah. Now me, I don't like teasing at all. So yeah. I take great offense to it. So a lot of is figuring out each other. And time for conversation allows you also to do that. Let's talk a little bit about how you don't love teasing. (laughs) And I mean, you're just so honest about the inner monologues you had going on and just that Mm -hmm. shame that you kind of carried, which, you know, because we do have moms listening, even into motherhood. I mean, you shared a story of when a child, Jonathan or Buddy, I want to call him Johnny. Yes. Uh, Buddy was seriously injured. And when you were saying all the shoulds, I could so relate. If anyone's ever had a child get injured, the the, not just guilt, even though you weren't directly responsible, you weren't even there, the guilt that we carry and then the shame of, see, there it is. I'm not good enough again. I'm I'm, right. I, I am wrong. I am the wrong thing. Right. It's not I did this wrong. It's like I am wrong. My child got hurt, but I am wrong. Right. I have to tell you, I've been, as I've been reading my audiobook, that was the hardest chapter to read. Yeah. yeah. I was just ball. I was crying. I was uh, crying. So, you yeah. know, I had put that big suitcase of a phone, you know, the yeah. mobile phones. Yeah. I put it away and made a decision that I was going to just lean into date night and have no distractions. That's not a bad motive. No. But what happened was uh, we didn't get that phone call until later that Jonathan had a major head injury, was rushed to the ER, ended up being, you know, bleeding on the brain and, and all that emergency brain surgery. And do you know, 
since that day, I have never turned my phone off. Mm, So it did something to you. Yeah. He's 30 years old. So for 28 years, I have never turned my phone off. And I'll tell you this, Heather, it wasn't until yesterday, I think because I've been reading my audio book, it's made me think about it. And I've always thought I could have avoided that accident Mm -hmm. if I'd had my phone. But you know what? That's not true. Right. That accident would have happened even if I had had my phone with me. And putting my phone in the trunk of my car for the sake of date night was not a wrong decision on my part. I'm just being very real with you about how even now at 62, I'm still processing the should haves. You know, I often say I should on myself. Yeah. You know, I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have. But you know what? I don't know what I should have done differently. And that is a new place for me Mm -hmm. because you have to celebrate your marriage without distraction. And there's nothing I could have done different on that night. Yeah, I I mean, I had to come to grips. We were going to leave on a trip away, my husband and I, and my Uh son was going to stay with my parents. And I had just had this paralyzing fear that he was going to fall in their pool and just had to come to grips with, I was believing a lie that he was only safe when he was in my presence. Yeah. And then I thought, well, well, then where does that go? When something happens to him, it's fully my fault. Right. Because since then I've had multiple kids have multiple (laughs) injuries and emergency room visits. But I mean, it's amazing. I even had a situation with a cat happen last Friday where something really awful happened to the cat. And I was feeling all of that shame. What could I have done differently? What should I have this? Should I have that? And it surprised me that it was so heavy. But what have you learned? I mean, you said you're still learning, but in the counseling, in the treatment for the mom who is carrying such a burden of shame and it's coming out because of her motherhood. I feel like motherhood just pulls it all to the surface. Motherhood is just, it's just brutal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but good in that it's healing you. It's healing yeah, and it's bringing yeah. to the surface. But sh- this shame is coming to the surface and it's it's in a principal's phone call. It's in a this failure, that failure. It's coming out. What have you learned through processing your own shame? Well, I have gone from when my first daughter was born and I actually had this thought. I am going to be so attentive to my child that I will anticipate and meet each and every one of my child's needs that they will never have to cry. I actually thought that. <laughs> so there's a mom nodding her head. Yes. I, I right? that too. Yes. Yes. And so the moment that she's born and does what? Cry. Which shows health, right? I'm a failure. Mm. So I have moved through realizing, learning to use your voice. A baby has to use their voice. When a baby uses their voice and their needs are met in a safe and healthy way, that's good education for that baby. They need to learn how to use their voice. Um, So I've come from there all the way to this. And that is in business. I only hire people who are going to worry about their job more than I have to. 
like a road manager or, you know, the person that checks us into the hotels or the bus driver or the person who does sound or like if, if I'm going to have to even give thought to their job, then they're not doing their job well enough. So they need to worry more. So I don't have to. And honestly, in the last three or four weeks, we've just adult kids. It's a whole nother, <laughs> it's just a whole nother world. But it's almost like God reminded me, you know, Sandy, you know how you feel when you work with people and and you say you don't have to worry about it because they're going to worry more. It's almost like God said to me, you know, I invented that, right? (laughs) Like, you know, as much as you want to worry about this particular kid, I am worried more. As much as you want to do the right thing and love them and set the right boundaries and all of that, do you know that I love them more? It has been revolutionizing in my heart to truly be able to surrender my kids to God. I mean, I might do the action like I'm surrendering them, but I still have to unroll my hands And I still have to let them go. And that is the hardest for me. But I've realized as much as I worry about him, he's worried more. He just is. It's his job. And that has been very peacemaking in my heart. Loves them more than we ever could. And worries about him. You know, we can love people that we don't necessarily, you know, worry about their life. And we can also love people we don't necessarily like, but God loves them and he likes them and he cares for them. And he's far more worried about them than I could ever be. You brought up like and love. And it makes me think about the part of your book where you used to sing a song, I Am Loved by Bill Gaither, but believed that it was true for everyone, but not you. And I thought that I've talked to so many women that that is true for. And you had a you had a fabulous father positive, yes, encouraging, I did. fabulous yes. father. So it's not this disconnect because sometimes it is an yeah, earthly father. Right. They can't connect to a heavenly father. Yeah. But you had that shame telling you you're not enough and I not believe that I'm loved by God. And you had this revelation when a friend differentiated like and love. So, so talk to us about that. What what changed to allow you to believe that to be true? Um. Well, you know, I could tell and have told thousands of people how much God loves them. Right. But there would always be this little voice in my head that said, yeah, except for you. Mm. And I just, I believe that. And I will say, Heather, as I began to put God's word into my heart and I began to believe his word was true, that I am lovely and that I am beautiful and that he seeks after me, I kind of started to think, maybe that's true. And I, my husband, he, you know, he tells me that he loves me and, and that I'm beautiful. And, and so for a long time, I thought, you know, he's just doing the husband thing. (laughs) No, he's just doing what he's supposed to do. And then I thought, you know, he really actually believes I'm beautiful. I think God gave him special eyes. (laughs) Then I actually believe that he just kept saying it so much that I really started to believe that I was beautiful. 
that was one lesson for me. I began to really take that in. And the other lesson for me is that someone said to me one time, you know, honey, not only does God love you, he likes you. And I went, what? (laughs) He said, no, he likes you. If he was giving a party, he'd give you an invitation. Somebody said, if he had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. Mm. Like he likes you. He delights in you. You know, there's a lot of people that we can think of that we love, but we may not necessarily like. The fact that God likes me, that is just pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It it changed for me because I would think, yeah, of course he loves me, but he's God. That's his job. But that he likes me, that's really cool. Mm. And so this is happening. You're realizing God not just loves you, he likes you. You're hearing you're beautiful and believing you're beautiful. And the shame, does it still have this control over you? I know at the end, the very the epilogue, you talk about actually having to go on vocal rest. And in that <laughs> yeah. time of silence, you're just realizing a lot about where this the shame and this confidence that you're getting now. Talk to us about that. Yeah. It's always still there lurking. Mm-hmm. It just is. I feel like I have a lot more ammunition against it now. And I also have a community of sisters that will just not have it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So you have to be brave enough to voice that you're hearing it. Yes. Who yeah. say, you know what? I think you're picking up some stuff you don't need to be picking up right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good and, start. Yeah. Um, we're just going to stand right here because I, I kind of think the best analogy I've ever heard of shame is it's like a wet shower curtain mm. that just sticks to you and you cannot get it off without help. I feel like I have more ammunition. I can call for help or I can not get myself in that situation in the first place. And I have a community the biggest help I have, and I don't mean it to sound corny. I really don't. But I, the biggest help I have is God's word. Mm. I kind of operate out of fear. I'm not proud of that about myself, but it's just true. I will play out the worst case scenario for you in every situation. <laughs> um, I, can, I, I resonate with that. I totally, that is my, my go-to. Laugh at me now because if we're having coffee and you know, my phone rings. I'll just kind of flippantly say, hold on, let me make sure no one's dead. Yep. But I kind of mean that. <laughs> yeah. And they kind of just reflect back to me a little bit of reality. But I operate in fear. I, I will immediately say now, God has not given me the spirit of fear. So I can start there. Okay, this is not from God. Here's what he has given me. Power, love, and a sound mind. So I've got three against one, you know, in my mind of thinking three tools against one tool. And so I find I have, you know, self-talk and using God's word is one of the best ways. I know that it's true, even though I don't feel it in the moment, but I know it's true. So I use it. Mm. Okay. Well, we're going to have to wrap up soon, but I really loved how you shared the song, Jesus Loves You loves me meaning more to you 
now and just that analogy to a PhD study. Yes. So, so someone asked this great theologian, what do you consider to be the most profound truth in all of Christendom? And he stopped and he thought for a moment. And then with a smile on his face, I can just almost picture it. He said, Jesus loves me. This I know. Hmm. And I've also come to believe that reversing a little bit those two lines is also very true. Jesus knows me. This I love. Yeah. And letting that sink in for whoever is listening, whatever mm-hmm. her day looks like today, her marriage, her mm-hmm. kids, uh, her blended family, her yeah. her career. If you are a work outside the home mom who's balancing a lot, Sandy even goes into the challenges there in this book. There's so much in this book to process. And, and, and even if, you know, you do process when sin is a part of our story, mm-hmm. how do we let go of the shame of that? And where do we go for healing? And I love that you point to people in the church mm-hmm. to be a sanctuary. And I know you've written a whole book on that titled Broken in the Back Row. Is that what it's called? Yes. Uh-huh. Broken in the Back Row. So y'all can find that if you're in that spot of you've chosen and you want that healing and where do you go? Um, mm-hmm. So thank you for writing that too. Yeah, my pleasure. And, you know, I love when an interview and I'm doing air quotes right now <laughs> just becomes a conversation, Heather. Yeah. And thank you so much for just the chat today. I have really enjoyed it. And my prayer is that if someone can find their voice sooner than I did, then it is worth the storytelling and digging up some not very pretty parts of the story, but showing that God is a God of second chances and new beginnings. So helpful. Well, I appreciate you and I will point people to where you are online and all of the things and where they can get the book in the show notes. But thank you for being with us today, Sandy. My great, great pleasure. Thank you, Heather. Right. Did I tell you? She is a powerhouse. I put links to her books and all of her things in the show notes. I know you're a little disappointed. You wanted her to sing. And the gift goes on. The Father gave the Son. And the gift goes on. The Son gave the Spirit. Okay. There you go. That's Sandy Patty. Uh, No, it's me and... I really do want to highlight for you something that I just released in November. I've told you about the Not Alone community before, and maybe you missed it. This is what it is. It's a place where I am helping guide you for more transformation. Y'all say that the podcast has, quote unquote, changed your life, and I don't, sometimes that doesn't make sense to me. I only know that we point to God and God changes lives. So if I am a way maker to you finding God, awesome sauce. What I've done over at the Not Alone community is helped make that transformation a little tighter. So for this month, the focus is on shame. I want to get you to a place where that shame is a light is shown on shame, brought to the surface and dealt with and healed. So I've created a growth guide that will take you each week, a couple episodes you can listen to on the podcast. And then I have every week a little um, article that I've written and some resources, some books. One of the books is It's It's Okay to Not Be Okay by Sheila Walsh. 
Last month, she and I recorded a live video. That's available over at the Not Alone community. You can watch that. Some of our podcast club leaders joined in on that call and asked their questions. You can see what questions they asked when you log in there. And then also, I'm offering a mentor chat, a live video chat that's going to happen on November 9th at 9 a.m. And as part of that community, you join in, you ask your questions, and you're going to be part of that. And I can support you and we can talk about all the things, whatever challenges you're facing, whatever questions you have. I know y'all are wanting more help and I want to be there for you so you don't feel alone, whether it is shame or whether it is a parenting struggle or discipline. And maybe you don't have a mentor in your life. I want to help connect you with those mentors. So if you want to go check out the Not Alone community, go over to don'tmomalone.com forward slash join and you'll see a little button there that'll give you more information. Um, I'm still working on it. I'm working on those tracks too to help with transformation for the new mom and for the angry mom and for a mom who really wants to get in God's word. I am working on those things in my <laughs> little margins of time, but I wanted to let you know if what Sandy said about shame resonated with your heart that I am put together this resource for you to help grow you in that area and let that shame just kind of lose its power. Like Sandy said, she's 62 years old. She still has to recognize it, call it out, have her friends call it out and go to God with it. But I want to help you in that process. All right. I am praying for you this week. Y'all are the best for sharing. You are my uh, ambassadors against loneliness. And I've noticed on Instagram and Facebook, you sharing the episodes such a big deal. So, so helpful to all those moms who are feeling isolated in their struggles. All right. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's also where you'll find the show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, He said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that is superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present and with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.